All right, all right, all right. Good morning, good morning. How we doing? Am I good? Obviously, I'm not Justin. I'm Brian. I'm uh, the care pastor. Yes, it is true. I'm the only one on staff that cares. Um, <clears throat> but no, Justin is at market, and we're excited to see what they come back with. He will be back here next week uh, doing a special message with the Super Bowl and everything that's with it, so you don't, don't want to miss that. If you're joining us online, thanks for taking the time. There's a lot of other places you could go, and before you tune out, please hang on for just a little bit, and we'll see what happens uh, in what we do. But we are wrapping up our series today on, uh, on no regrets, and you've seen this is our, our famous tattoo, and I know Justin has brought a few, so I wanted to share a few of mine that are not my own tattoos, to be honest with you. Um, that's, it'll come later, but anyway. Here's, here's the first one, and I don't know, I mean, if you know what that is, please email me, um, because we don't really know that. Here's what we do know. If you've noticed that there's an asterisk right here, and I learned enough from my years in school to know that asterisk is a, like a footnote sometimes, you can call it. You may not be able to see it, but I can read it. Right here it says, I was 17 when I got this. So, yeah. Um, this next one probably needs to go back to the guy and see if they could, or maybe go see Kinsley over at the tattoo place and get it fixed. Only judge can guide me. Um, got a little, I don't know if the tattoo guy was dyslectic. I don't know what happened with him there. But then everybody loves their mom, right? We all love our moms, right? So why not go and get this one? My mom is my angle. So, um, yeah. But here's one that I want to share with you that, and, and, and in all seriousness, uh, this is from my good friend, Harry Stevens. He said, Brian, I want to send you this tattoo. And there's a story behind that. That is actually his dad's signature. Now, just a little over a year ago, I, I had the honor and the privilege to do his dad's funeral. And Harry and his dad had a unique relationship. Um, not only were they obviously father and son, but they worked together for many, many years. And that normally doesn't work, but it did in that situation. But he and his dad were just close. And he said, man, even since my dad had died, there was not a day that went by that I didn't think about him until one day. And I said, which day was that? And Harry said, it was the day that he got word and his diagnosis for throat cancer. And I was like, man, he said, for whatever reason, I just didn't think about my dad that day. And he said, so, so he went out. He said, the one thing my dad did the same way every time was his signature. He said, you can look at it now and you can look at it 60 years ago. It looked the same way. And he said, so I'm gonna put this on my arm. He put it on his forearm just as a reminder of who his dad was and to him. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing, pretty cool reminder of how he did that. But we all, I mean, there's some of us, you know, here's a couple things I know about tattoos. Number one, um, does anybody know anybody with just one tattoo? Okay? Um, but tattoos, you know, they all tell a story. And uh, I want you to check out Nate's story about tattoos in his own family. Y'all check his video out. Now, I have a sister, and she is 10 years younger than me, and apparently was raised by her best friends. She has no fear of them. I mean, I'm scared my dad's gonna show up tonight. <laughs> She'll tell them they suck to their face. I mean, just, and I'm like mortified. I mean, you can't talk to them like that. <laughs> she does whatever she wants. She turned 18 and got a tattoo. And I said, I mean, I was like, well, you're gonna get in pretty big trouble when they find that out. 
And she goes, I'm 18, I can do whatever I want. I go, yeah, well, I'm 28 and I'm still hiding wine, so I don't think you can. <laughs> And she ruined them. You know, that's the thing that bothers me the most. <laughs> She's a bad influence on them. She got a tattoo, then my dad went and got a tattoo. Yeah, I guess he figured no one's in charge anymore. <laughs> I recently found out my mom got a tattoo. They tried to hide that one from me, but I found out and I was livid when I found this out. I mean, I set them all down together, and I said, I don't think y'all should be hanging out anymore. How about that? Pardon my language, but I think it stinks what's going on. I think it stinks. <laughs> Families and tattoos, there's a lot of stories that can go in there, but that's what we've talked about. We've talked about regrets. You know, some people have tattoos that were regretful, but in our whole series going through this, talking about no regrets, that that would be our credo for 2023. Week one, we talked about no excuses. And Justin said, you do what you do and what you can do, and you trust God with the rest. So live life making no excuses. Week two, we said no complaints. You want to live with no, a life with no regrets? Live with no complaints. Jesus gave us the pattern of no complaining. And he said, he let God take care of the rest. And if it works for Jesus, it sure enough should work for us as well. Week three, we said no comparing, which is hard to do. If you were here for that message, you understood it. If you haven't seen it yet, go back. It's online. You can re watch it and, and understand it is tough to do because you have to die to yourself and serve others. And then week four, last week, and some of you may have been doing nursing homes or you may have been going to Bedside Baptist or wherever you were, whatever you did. But it was a week where we talked about no fears. And this kind of hit home with me because he said your fear can reveal where you trust God the least. And I know for all of us to think about regrets and think about this whole thing about no regrets. I'm going to live life with no regrets. I'm going to live life with no regrets. It's easy to say, but it's way hard to do. It is tough to live life without regrets. As a matter of fact, I would be very surprised if there was anybody. Matter of fact, if somebody stood up and said, oh, I have no regrets, I would say, you're a liar. But the reality of it is we all have regrets. I've got some of my own regrets. I've got a lot of regrets. Um, a couple that I just thought of as I was getting ready to speak and thought about this time one of my regrets deals with my youngest daughter, Caroline. Um, if you're a parent of children, you can appreciate my next statement. Um, I've been K through 12 now five times, counting my own experience, and then college another three, well, four times. I've been through four years of college because you're, you're, you're constantly helping your kids. So I was the one that was placed with the task of teaching all my kids and especially my youngest, sweet, dear Caroline, who I love deeply, about math. I don't know if you remember, if you ever did this as a parent, but teaching your kids the whole addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, the old times table, you had, you'd write it out and, and show them this is how this and this, and, or you'd get you know, three pieces of something here and one piece of something here is equal to how many here, or you'd do flashcards. And I remember it, 
it was just one of those days. And we're going through it, and I'm going, okay, here you go, Caroline. Two plus two is three. I'm like, no. Two plus three is four. I'm like, no. And it got to the point, and this is where my parenting regret kicks in. I looked across the table, sitting there at the dining table into my sweet little daughter's eyes. And I looked her right in the eyes, and I said, there are monkeys at the zoo that can count better than you. And they fling their own poo. So get real with it. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that that, um, as some of you counselors would say, was maybe a little soul wound I put on her. Because when she ended up in college, she was looking at degree plans and her deciding choice when it came down to two was, which one has less math? And I'm sure that's because of me. Flip over into my, uh, my life with my wife, Perry. We dated for about three years before we got married, and about two years into it, I mean, we, were, we had talked about it. You know how all that goes. We had talked about marriage and all that kind of stuff. We're at Nukes, and lo and behold, there's a, a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in, year, in a couple years, and he walks up, and I said, hey, man, this is my friend, Perry. Yeah, I, women are going, oh, men are going, ha, idiot. But it creates regrets. The, the things that we do and the things that we don't do creates regret in our life. And we end up trying to figure out how to do it. And it, and it, and it even happens with our own family. And the way that we interact, I want you to check out Raymond and Robert's story as they kind of discuss about who's going to handle mama. I'll check this out. We don't even have to do this because it's like you said before, Ma loves me more. Well, you know what? She can love you all she wants because I love her more than you do. What? You heard me. I love mom more. Are you insane? <laughs> Deep down inside, Raymond, you know it's true. Are you saying that I don't love my mother? Not as much as me. <laughs> you take her for granted. But me, I cherish every ounce of affection that woman gives me because I have to fight for it like a dirty dog in the street. <laughs> But you, you don't even have to try. She makes it so easy for you. You're just a fat kid sitting with his mouth open at the end of a chocolate assembly line. <laughs> you disgust me. getting Ma. You're not getting Ma. Don't push me.
Anybody had a, had a discussion like that with a sibling, maybe? But I realized this as I started to think about how do we wrap up this whole series on no regrets, that the reality that we face day to day in our own lives is that we all have regrets. And you come back and you say, well, what, what do I do with the regret that I have? What do I do with the regrets that I've stacked up in my life? I mean, I'd be happy if I just had one regret let alone all these regrets that I have. And it's, it's a lot like this luggage I brought up here today because each one of these we've experienced in our own lives, maybe as a, as a child, as a kid, you got your own little bag right here of, of regrets. It may have been, you know, making a bad grade. It may have been calling somebody a name. And you may not have been old enough to realize that that's what it was, that it was a regret, that it was just, but it just keeps stacking in your bag. And you learn very quickly that this little phrase that we all used to say, sticks and stones may make my bones, but words will never hurt me, is simply a lie. Because the words that we say carry weight. And for us, as they hit us, even as a small child, it creates weight. And you put it in your bag and you say, man, I can handle this. It's not too bad with me. You move on up in your years and now you're a teenager. Can't wait to be a teenager because of all the fun stuff that happens. I'll be in total control of my emotions then, said no one. But you take all your stuff you take all your regrets, again, telling your parents that you hate them, that they have no idea how to run your life. Maybe it's making a bad grade in school. Maybe it's making a bad choice. Maybe it's being bullied or you bullied someone else and all of a sudden, day after day after day, it just keeps packing in your bag and keeps packing it full until now you've got two handfuls of regret. And it keeps adding weight to it, and you go, but hey, you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm young, I'm strong, and basically chicks dig me. So you know what? I can make it. Because you know what? One day, I'm going to be an adult, and I can handle all this stuff. So you get older, and you walk into your adult years, and all of a sudden, you're like, I've got two bags of regret, two bags of emotional baggage in my life, and now I've created this third one. And so you have to decide, I, I mean, how do I do it? Do I, I mean, do I just bring them together or do I, I carry them? And it becomes those regrets that you get as an adult. Maybe it was, um, maybe it was just that time you lost your temper. Maybe it was that, uh, maybe it was that day 
that day that you lost control or that moment that you lost your dignity. Or maybe it's just the years that you lost your priorities. And all of a sudden you realize that not only is it the largest bag you've got, but it's the heaviest as well. And you've got to now figure out how to manage three bags with two arms and two hands. And so it, it ends up being something that basically you carry around the rest of your life. And it gets heavier and heavier, but you think to yourself, you know, it's okay. I mean, I, I, at least I'm still young. But the years go by and you carry this weight with you everywhere you go. Not everybody sees it, but you come up, you come up with this question. How, how can I have dreams for the future when all my energy, all your energy is required to carry the baggage of the past? And you're like, don't talk to me about dreams for the future because my life has been one big mess up, one big regret. And so you drag it around, determined, some way. Some way in my life, I'm gonna figure out how to get some rest out of this. I mean, it's just bags. And so you take them to work. That's it. I'm gonna go to work. And I'm gonna work so hard that I'll forget about it. And so you, you take them to work, and man, people are impressed. You show up early, you stay late, you, you put out the reports. You're the top person in your, in your division. You're the top person in the company. You get rewarded for it because, hey, that's a hard worker. She just busts it for the company. She is so successful. Look at what she's got. And people are impressed. But when it's time to head home at the end of the day, you still got bags. You still got bags that you're carrying. So you think, man, let's go to happy hour. I mean, with a name like happy hour, you got to get some relief, right? So you... You bring them in and you set it down and you, you sit on the stool and we sit there and we, we sip a drink or four for a while and with the hopes that the weight will go away. But as you step off the stool, you can't help but stumble over your own bags. And so here it goes. And then you have an idea one day. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go get therapy. I'm going I'm to take my bags to a therapist. And so you do. And, and maybe you're eager. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, man, I really don't need to do this, but I know I need to because I'm miserable. I, I got to figure out what's going on in my life. Why the regret? Well, how do I deal with it? And so you go to that therapist, and you know what you begin to do? You name them. You can name everything that's in your bag and what happened and how that happened all the way back to your childhood. And that therapist gives you tools and says, okay, this is what I need you to do. And, you know, take these breaths, remember this statement, go. And you think, man, I got that, I got that. And when it's time to leave their office, what do you do? You grab the bags. You take them with you as you walk out the door and as you go live your life. And the load seems lighter, but then when the sun sets and the weekend's over, the bags are still there. You're still having to handle them. You can, I mean, you can juggle them around every once in a while if you want to, and it seems a little bit easier, but the baggage are still there. So then you get this idea. I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to church. 
That's what I'll do. I'll take these bags to church. There's got to be something to do. Maybe, maybe religion will help me out. Maybe you walked in today and I didn't see, I stood back there and I didn't see any of you walk in with luggage today, but no doubt somebody here has luggage from their past and you've come here as the solution to that. And at this point, I feel the need to make an apology to you or to any of you that have ever suffered this way because you may have come across a, a well-meaning, misguided preacher that all they really did by the end of the service and the end of the day was just add to your load. And you get it. I mean, you get what life's all about because you understand it's hard to be affirmed when you're starved for affirmation. It's hard to, to forgive others when you feel so guilty. And so you live by the credo in your life, hurt people, hurt people. And you just go through life with your bags. You go through life with your regrets, with the things that go on in your world. And they get heavier and heavier each day. And with each step, you stoop lower and lower and lower till you get to the point where you go, look, finally, how do I get relief? That's where you are this morning. I want you to listen to what Jesus said. He said this. He said, I want you to come to me. Come to me, all of you who are tired from the heavy burden you've been forced to carry. Can you identify with that? Is, that? is that where you are right now in your life? Are you one of those that you're just tired of the heavy burden that you've been forced to carry? And he says this, I'm gonna give you rest. He said, accept my teaching, learn from me, because here's why, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in spirit and you'll be able to get some rest. Yes, the teaching that I ask you to accept is easy. And the load I give you to carry is light. I mean, you gotta, you gotta think about the context of this. Jesus is speaking to some of his followers and they were raised as Jews in the nation of Israel. And if you've ever seen the movie or read it, you, you know the story. They, back in their beginning, they started out with 10 commandments. It was their way to, to connect to God. But over the years and years and years, the religious leaders began to create other rules so that you don't break any of the top 10 to the point that it had gotten to 613 rules that existed on how you're gonna make it to God, how you're gonna be able to be right with God. And they realized that there was no way, that there was no way they could possibly live up to these expectations. And they were just weary from, from trying to do it. Weary from trying to connect the dots. Weary from trying to do the right thing. Weary from the sacrificial system and again and again and again. And in the midst of all that, Jesus comes to them with this incredible invitation. And I want you to understand this morning, God is not a God of burdens, but a God of rest. God is not a God of burdens, but a God of rest. So if you feel like in your relationship with God, if you feel like in the way that you walk with Jesus and you being a Jesus follower, if you feel burdened, that's not God. Because he said, come to me. And I know you're sitting here and going, whoa, 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 wait a second, Brian. Whoa, time out. I mean, you're shaking your head. 
you go, look, I tried this before. And you don't know how many churches I've been to. You don't know how many times I've read the Bible, cover to cover, including the maps. You don't know how many times I've done that, but it's still the same me with the same problems. Can I, can I step into your kitchen for just a second and just ask you a question? Is it possible? Is it possible in your world that you went to religion and not to God? That you went to the system and not the giver of the system? That you went to the building and not the person for whom the building was created? And Jesus says in the midst of all that, look, here's what I want you to do. I got this exchange program. It's it's great. I've got this thing. And he said, I want you to come to me. I don't want you to come to a building. I don't want you to come to some kind of a system that works through. I want you to come to me. And I'll give you rest. And he said, I am gentle and humble in spirit. I am gentle and humble in spirit. What does that simply mean? It simply means this. For all his uniqueness, for all of who he was, for all his godness, 100% God, God in a bod, 100% God, 100% man, able to live life as we are yet without sin, he's saying, when he says I'm gentle and humble in spirit, what he's saying to me and what he's saying to you is that no one else in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No one else has ever been more approachable as Jesus Christ because he said, I'm humble and gentle at heart. Who I am, that's that's me. That he's accessible. And maybe, again, you're here this morning and and you're like, dude, I'm just so tired of the, I feel like I'm on that, that, that hamster wheel. I feel like I'm on that treadmill, always moving but not getting anywhere. I'm trying to get rid of this stuff. I've done everything. Understand this. Come to Jesus. Come to who he is. There's no no prerequisite. Nobody sits back and, and says, look, dude, you're pretty messed up, so you better just clean yourself up, and then you can come to him. No. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no... No thing that you have to do. The minimum bar. You all know what it is? The minimum bar to be wrapped in the embrace of Jesus is to simply open yourself to him. To simply open yourself up. And here's what I've found. If you're going to open yourself up to another person, you, you can't be holding on to the baggage because it doesn't work that way. Can, we, uh, can I pull the bus over for just a second and talk a little bit more about regrets? There's a guy named Dan Pink that wrote a book about regrets, and he said simply this. He said, over time, people regret more of what they didn't do, regret what they didn't do more than what they did do. Regrets of inaction are far more common than regrets of action. What that simply tells us is that there are many times that we regret what we did not do. There are many, most of the regrets we have are over a choice that I never made. I wish I'd have done this. A word that I'd, I wish I'd have told them at that time. 
I wish I really let her know how much I think about her. I really wish I let him know how special it's regrets like that. He went on to say this, that regret when handled in the right way allows us to look backward and move forward. Allows us to look backward and move forward. What he's simply saying is this, and what I've said before from here and we've said before, your past does not define you, it reminds you. And the regrets in our lives, if we begin to embrace them and understand the fact that they really shouldn't define us. In other words, you don't go, man, I can't do that because this is where I used to be. I, there's no way I can, there's no way I could do this because of what I did in the past. No. It's a reminder. Oh, I did this in the past. I need, I need to go this way. Here's the other thing about regrets is they, they typically carry two parts to them, shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. Guilt says this. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. You ever done that? Have you ever just, man, I'm just a screw up. Man, I can't do anything right. That becomes the default of your arguments with your spouse over time. Well, I just, I guess can't do anything right, so I'm just, that's shame. Shame, guilt says this. Guilt says, I told a lie. Shame says, I'm a liar. And so as we go through life, this, this thing called shame begins to be heaped on our lives and there's no room for the grace of God in that. But if you're a Jesus follower, here's good news for you. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter eight, verse one, he said this. He said, so there's now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Simply put, if, if you know Jesus, if you accept him as your Lord, there's no condemnation. Hey guys, listen to me real quick. That means now, in the past, and in the future. No condemnation. He goes on and says this, and because you belong to him, because you belong to him, because you belong to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Everywhere you look in the Bible, sin and death are hand in hand. They create this, this, this problem. They create this stench in our life. And, and he tells us that because we belong to him, the life-giving spirit that's now in us has freed us from that. It's freed us from the regrets of our past. And we are no longer under the power of sin that leads to death. It's no longer part of who our lives are. I had a drug problem that started when I was five years old. And, uh, and my parents contributed to that, whether they knew it or not. They drug me to church every time the doors were open. And... I remember, I mean, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes two, maybe sometimes three times on Sunday and one time on Wednesday. You know, if the doors were open, that's where we were. And I remember this particular Wednesday, I was but a young man. I was still hanging out in my kid years. And um, where the house that I grew up in 
behind the house at that time was nothing but wide open fields. And, and then on the other side of that, there was a road that they were just putting in to build more subdivision back there. And uh, so we built forts out in the field. Had the coolest underground fort, by the way. Ask me later, I can tell you about it. I can tell you how to put one together, too. Um, but I remember going down that particular day, and they, I mean, they had all sorts of equipment down there. They had backhoes, they had front-end loaders, they had bulldozers. And so I'm down there, I got my stick, and I'm just kind of fiddling around and looking at stuff. It's Wednesday night, remember, okay? So where are we going to be on Wednesday night? Church. Not only that, we're going for the Wednesday night dinner because you got to love fish sticks on Wednesday night. And you got to go to uh, RAs, GAs, choir. Um, sometimes, I don't know if some of you ladies, um, WMU, some of you don't know what WMU stands for. I think that's wide, mean, and ugly. Uh, based on the women that I knew. No. Y'all don't, please don't like throw stuff at me or email me. I'm out of this church. You're so rude about what it'd be me. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. But it was time to go. And my dad stepped on the back porch. My dad, I don't know if any of you grew up with this. My dad was a whistler. Like he could, I never can. I can't, that kind of whistle like that. That like he could whistle here and you would hear him across the river right now if he was, was step out over here. And he had two kinds of, he had the happy whistle and the get your ear whistle. So I'm standing there beating with the stick and stuff and looking at in the, in the hole and thinking things and I hear that whistle and it isn't the happy whistle. So I turn around, I drop the stick and I just start running, you know. It's, it's Wednesday, you know, so you got your church clothes on. I honestly am a, I honestly am a product of Sears Tuskin jeans and in full disclosure, I did wear Huskies at, a, at that age. I'm kind of going through the life cycle they could be, you know, back to my childhood. But I start running to get back to the house. I get all the way to the house, which, I mean, in reality, it may have been like 150 yards. To me, it felt like a quarter of a mile, half a mile. I get to the house, and my dad goes, go get that stick. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me to begin with, come here with your stick? So I, I run down, back down the road, grab the stick, and I come back. At which point, most of you, if you had parents that gave you whippings or whoopings, know what's happening now. He takes that stick and just wears me out. Now, I'm not here on child discipline and having a big talk on that right now. If you want to talk about it later, email me. We'll figure it out. You can buy my cassette tapes on how to handle your kids. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. But the reality of it is this. He, I said that word again, he just wore me out because of my past, because of the choices that I've made. Listen to what I'm gonna say next. Your heavenly father, my heavenly father, never says go get that stick. James, the, the brother of Jesus, we talk about living with maybe a little bit of regret. I mean, Jesus, he's always done everything right. James wrote it this way. If you wanna know how to get rid of your regret, he said, if anyone like longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it. You want to know how to get rid of it? Just go to God. God, how do I get rid of this? He says, I will give you wisdom if you just ask me for it. I'll, I'll let you under, help you understand how to apply the truth to your life. And I love what the next, and this is the Passion Translation, I love what the next verse says. 
He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures. Something we can learn really quick. He won't use your lack of wisdom. He won't, I just didn't know I'm a, you know, going back, I'm a loser, I'm a liar. He won't use that as an opportunity to scold you over your failures. But he says, here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. Let me say that again. He is going to overwhelm your failures, my failures, with his generous grace. It's the picture that everything we have in our life, all these regrets that we've piled up over the years are all here, and everything he pours down on top of that is so much grace, so much forgiveness, so much goodness that there's no way you can see anything out of there again. One of the people in our church, one of the people part of the simple church that's experienced that in her own life is Brittany, and I want you to hear Brittany's story right now. So I think that we all have regrets, and that's kind of what I want to talk about is mine, because a lot of times those things that you regret, you feel like are so bad that you can't come back from them. And I just have that experience. So what I want to talk about today is the word abortion. That's a tough one. I feel like you're either on one side or the other, like I'm so pro-life, or on the other sense of here's all the ways to get one. Statistically, women, one in four of them have had an abortion. So if you think about that number and Think about how many people just say in our church alone that that could affect. I am one in four of those people, and when I made that decision, I didn't tell anybody for a really long time. It's definitely my biggest regret, and so for me, I kept that secret in private for almost 15 years. Nobody's talking about what happens when you have that experience. I truly believe that if women knew the long-term effects of it, they wouldn't make those decisions. Um, if they knew the shame and regret and guilt and all the bondage that comes with it, then I don't think people would make that decision. And why I want to bring light to it is because for a really long time in my life, I truly believed that because of that decision that I made when I was young, that. I was completely unworthy of love. I was unworthy of forgiveness. And if there was a God, he didn't want me around for sure because I'd done the worst of the worst. And so that was definitely my biggest regret. And because of that, it led into so many other bad decisions because of how I felt about myself. Really have two goals. Goal number one is just to amplify the story and talk about what women go through afterwards. And I feel like if that's spoken of, that's the best way for someone who's in that situation to not make that decision. Not just hear about how quick you can do it in your home or just take this pill or just travel to the state line. Like, here's what, you're, what comes with it. And unfortunately, for women that are in a moment of crisis, the devil can truly trick you into thinking that this is your only way out. 
this is all that, this is your only option. And that's probably what breaks my heart the most is that you truly believe this is, this is the choice that you have to make. So that's one big reason of why I want to talk about it. And then two is just for the people that have made those decisions, whether it's abortion or addiction or whatever, I mean, you fill in the blank, like whatever you're experiencing, I just want women to know that there is a way to get healing. There is hope. You are worthy. You are loved. Like you can be restored and redeemed. And so I just wanted to talk about the Bible study that we do. We do it as a life group at Simple Church, abortion recovery, because everybody deserves and should know that they can get the healing. I keep saying it all the time, and I've probably said it like 10 times in the past two weeks, but what I'm holding on to right now is that like the devil can't afford you. Like the devil didn't give up his son. Jesus did that for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. So Jesus can save you. He can heal you. He loves you. He forgives you. And because I've experienced that in my life, I just feel like talking about the things that you regret or the things that you've dealt with, it just gives hope to somebody else who hasn't shared it. Yeah, go ahead. Heavy story, but a, but a great, a great ending. And I mean, I've had the privilege to just kind of watch God's grace at work in Brittany's life and her husband Brian's life. So cool a few years back to be in Honduras and they asked me if I'd do it. And I said, heck yeah, let's just do it right now. We, they renewed their wedding vows right there in front of the team and some other people there in Honduras. And it's just a special time. And it's a time of understanding the, the impact of God's grace in their life. James, earlier, when he, before he talked about God overwhelming with his, his grace, he started that chapter out simply saying this, my fellow believers, he said, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, nothing but hard times, he said, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. And, and here's what, I, I can't tell you the science behind it. I can't tell you the, the way it fits together. It's probably that, that mystery, one of those things that God does that just happens. But there's a direct connection to our hard times, our ability to give them to God, and to praise Him in the middle of the mess. The book of Psalms is all about people that are going, where are you, God? You've abandoned me. You've, you've deserted me. But in the, in, in the very same verses, two verses later, they're going, yet I'm going to praise you for who you are. And there's no doubt someone here, you're a Brittany or you're a Brian, you're, you've got your own life together and you've been struggling with the, the regrets and today is the day that you just release those. And you come and you find rest. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that. I pray that we can all walk out of here rested and refreshed. And God, we can begin to connect the dots between what it means to live in this messy life and walk through life the way we do it and to bring praise to you. And God, through that, help us to make a difference, not just in our lives, 
but in how we deal with others, how we deal with our family members, how we deal with our coworker, how we deal with our classmates, and what we do, we can understand that your incredible grace doesn't point out our failures, but it covers us in an incredible way so that we can understand the dynamic that praise does open the prisons of our life. And God, we just ask for that freedom to happen today. In Jesus' name, amen.